Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Dr. John, and I am thrilled to announce that Jory and I are opening up our retreat in beautiful Costa Rica from September 28th of 2024 to October 5th. Everyone wants fulfilling relationships. The hard part is love is not enough. So many factors can get in the way preventing ongoing connection, intimacy, and aligned growth. All healthy relationships start within. But when we have unresolved stuff, it can easily interfere with those we are seeking to be closest with. Whether you're in a long-term committed partnership or are single and are looking for love, this retreat will guide you in the heroic journey of healing yourself so that you can be open and available to cultivate the fulfilling relationships you desire and deserve. To find out more, visit joryrose.com slash retreats. That's J-O-R-E-E-R-O-S-E dot com slash retreats. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. John back with the latest episode of the Evolved Caveman podcast. And I am psyched to have with me today, Matt Zeman. Matt is a dedicated explorer of the inner world and a passionate advocate for the thoughtful and responsible use of psychedelics. With a Master of Science in Psychology and Neuroscience of Mental Health, with honors from King's College London, Matt has studied the effects of psychedelics on the mind and the potential for these experiences to serve as a catalyst for positive transformations. His work in this field is motivated by a profound desire to help people navigate the sometimes challenging terrain of the psychedelic experience and emerge from it with a deeper sense of purpose, connection, and understanding. In other words, to reclaim their true self. Matt's the author of the Amazon bestseller, Psychedelics for Everyone, a beginner's guide to these powerful medicines for anxiety, depression, addiction, PTSD, and expanding consciousness. And as an entrepreneur in the well-being sector, he's co-founded various companies, including Happy with Two Wise, a mental wellness company specializing in psychedelic-assisted ketamine ther therapy, Psychable, an online community connecting people who would like to explore the healing power of psychedelics with a network of practitioners and psychedelic-based treatments, and Take Two Minutes, a nonprofit dedicated to helping individuals improve their mental health and well-being. Matt, welcome, and thank you for coming aboard. Dr. John, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for making some time for me. So tell me a little bit about this idea of reclaim your true self. I think one of the most powerful parts of psychedelics is the idea that it helps you remember. Um, so let's let's for, I mean, at a science level, what happens in the brain is is neurons that don't typically fire start to fire, and these are neurons that used to connect when at some point when you're younger, um, which allows you to remember a different way of thinking than potentially how you think today. And many cases you can remember that you are loved and you can remember that you are enough and you can remember that you don't need to do anything to be worthy of that love and to being enough. Um, and I believe that's, we, as many of us as children, we knew this and over time we forget. Um, so I think this is a, a powerful technology to unlock that remembrance and, uh, and reclaim, the, reclaim your true self through this process. Yeah, I love the way that you put that. And I've had that experience myself on psychedelics where you just understand your, your position or your place in the interconnectedness of all things. You remember that, yeah, you are worthy, that you belong. Mm -hmm. and, and I agree that you don't have to do anything to be worthy. I think you just have to be born to be worthy, to, to take breath. And I think that's something that we all everyone I've ever talked to seems to have wrestled with is that sense of unworthiness. And it's like, no, you don't have to do anything to be worthy. I think it's, I mean, you work with a lot of high performance people. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of us, we are in this doing mode and performing well, because at some level, we feel like we need to do that or we won't be loved. And maybe that goes back to our relationship with our parents or it goes somewhere, but the doing is something that our society rewards, mm -hmm. even if it is harmful to us, even if it means we are workaholics, even if it means we're avoiding our, 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 um, our families and our spouses. We're getting stuff done, so we're not looked at as having 
trauma or things that uh, we need to unpack. We're looked at as successful people. Okay, yeah. And there's, there's things to look at and remember that uh, this technology can unlock. Well, and, and that's you know, an idea that I came across when I was 17, this idea of being successful and fucking miserable. Mm-hmm. And, and that seems to be the blueprint for so many of us in this day and age that we're, we're killing ourselves to be successful, but we just have completely let go of the idea that we can be successful and happy, successful and worthy, successful and content or relaxed. And I, and I, I, I do think, think these medicines are a way to get back to that. Absolutely. I, I think a lot of us, I mean, we're, we're as a culture, we live in a scarcity culture. So we're taught very young, oh, you've got to get what's, what's there for you. You've got to watch out for yourself. You've got to take care of yourself. You've got to work hard to get ahead in life. Um, and we're not taught that there's enough. There's enough for everybody that we're only going to move forward. There isn't any real way to fail. You can fail at a task, but as long as we're living, we're learning, healing, and growing and moving forward. Yeah. Until we stop living, that's the only direction there is to go. So how, do, how are we going to spend our time here? And if we can switch our mindset to, oh, wait a minute, if there is enough and I get to play in this playground for whatever time I have on this planet, what am I scared about? What am I trying to accumulate for? Why am I skipping days or weeks or months or years or decades to accumulate versus playing while I can play? Um, yeah, and, and, and that I, doesn't I think, mean not generating resources, but just enjoying the process. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's you know happiness is largely about learning to enjoy the journey mm-hmm. <clears throat> and not just looking for the outcome. But you know, you mentioned that scarcity mindset, and I, I think that there's a lot of fear and anxiety in the vast majority of us that drives us because of that scarcity mindset. And so I, I, I often see that doing mentality as people running away from their own anxiety. Like they can't handle sitting still and not doing. So they just have to do, do, do rather than learn how to be. And, and you see this just undermining the quality of their relationships in their desperate attempt to not, sti- to not sit still. Yeah, that we can hide behind our to-do lists and our, yeah. and our tasks. And I'm really busy. I don't have time for whatever it is. I don't have time for the people I enjoy spending time with. I don't have time for my family. I don't have time for my children. I don't have time for my friends. I don't have time for me. I can't work out today. I can't. I don't have time. Really. It, it's ironic in the sense of people, because I think that very dynamic keeps people from trying something like psychedelics to break out of that mindset because there's a fear or anxiety or the fear of loss of control that keeps people from trying these, which would allow them to break free of that dynamic at some level. Yeah, without doubt. And, and combined with that, any of us who are born 1971 or later, we've lived our entire lives in a prohibition that no one told mm-hmm. us it was a prohibition. We thought it was just science that, oh, yeah. drugs are bad. They're going to fry your brain. There's no medical use. And um, nobody said, oh, but this is just a construct. Yeah. Um, and this is just a philosophy. And then again, you're the high performance people you work with. You're talking about people typically late 30s, 40s, 50s, I would imagine, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, all they know is what they've been told. And, um, and it's funny, like I, I do these multi-day uh, ceremonies and some of the entrepreneurs I talk to, it's like, oh, I can't get away for three days. Really? And it's just, it's amazing. It's like, you, you, you don't have three days for yourself. That could impact the rest of your life. That's, I get it. I get, it resonates and it's a shame. Well, and to dovetail on that idea, I love the idea of success being control of your own time. Mm-hmm. Like that's one element to it that I think is very important. So is it that you can't take three days or is it that you don't want to? Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and if not, how successful are you? But I also have seen a lot of interest in psychedelics and microdosing in the Silicon Valley area. Like a lot of these high-level entrepreneurs are looking for ways to get a mental advantage, looking for ways towards greater creativity, innovation, idea generation. 
I mean, Tim Ferriss says, I think he said, I don't know any billionaires that don't do psychedelics. And that's mm. a that's a powerful line. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think people come to psychedelics from kind of three different angles. I think there's some people who want to meet this in a medical model. I have depression, I have anxiety, I have an eating disorder, I have a substance use challenge, I have something. And I want to meet somebody in a white lab coat and try psychedelics. Okay, great. That's that's beautiful. The, the work that MAPS is doing for MDMA, mm. for treatment-resistant post-traumatic stress disorder, fantastic, super important. Johns Hopkins with terminal uh, psilocybin for terminal uh, cancer patients, amazing. Yeah, End-of-life anxiety. End-of-life yeah. anxiety. So that's that's one way. Other people are like, ah, go fuck yourself. I, I believe that uh, it's decrim nature and nobody should tell any adult that any plant that grows in the ground is illegal for me to put in my body. And I don't want to hear it, but I don't need to tell anybody why I'm doing this. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. I agree with that too. That's a beautiful, um, beautiful perspective. And then the third are the are people who say, I want to practice with psychedelics because I connect with a higher power. It gives me a, a connected a interconnectedness of things, and uh, it's more of a religious freedom issue. And I think that's important. So regardless of where you come into on, on why you're... So the optimization, which, which you were just talking about, that's not really medical, because I think a lot of people who say in Silicon Valley won't say, I have a diagnosis of depression or anxiety. No, I just want to be a better human. Mm -hmm. So is that religious? Is that decrim? Is that recreational? Human with intention? Potential. I don't know, but it's, I think it's important that all of this is allowed to exist. And most importantly, that it should be allowed to exist in the open under the best possible wisdom of, from the medical community and the spiritual community. And how yeah. do we do this safely and how do we do this effectively? Yeah. It and and is, I do yeah. really believe that these medicines unlock human potential. I think it's a great vehicle to get closer to your true potential, kind of to your idea of reclaiming your true self. Absolutely. And I think, um, I know, again, in the ceremonial space, a lot of people come to us from coaches kind of like you, where they're, they're like, okay, we're not going to deliver medicine to people, but mm -hmm. we can prepare them. We know their intentions. We've worked, we spent years with them, and then we can help the integration process. Right. So now that you've seen, the person's seen whatever it is that they've seen, and they've unlocked whatever they want to unlock, and they've unlocked creativity, or they've unlocked connection, or they've unlocked answers to something they've been working on, it doesn't have to be a licensed therapist that works with them. It can be, but it can also mm -hmm. be just a, a really effective coach who's like, mm -hmm. okay, you said this was important to you and you said, this is how you're going to get there. I'm just helping to remind you of what you said and keep you on this path. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the integration piece. There's a bunch of ways I can go right now, but let's talk about the integration <laughs> piece sure. because the integration piece to me, when you're, when you're helping clients post journey to make sense of what they've experienced and to lock down those learnings it feels a lot to me like dream interpretation or archetypal analysis, like Jungian analysis, like you're dealing with themes um, and you're dealing in kind of, I don't know if they're mentally generated scenarios or spiritually generated, depends on your perspective, but what is your take on the integration work? I think the best, in my experience, the best integration coaches aren't there to tell me what my visions meant, and they're mm -hmm. not there to tell me what I need to do. They're there to support the thought process to say, you're not crazy. Tell me more about it. Well, how does that make you feel? Where did, what does that emotion come from? What are you thinking about in terms of the action from this? They're also there to help with guardrails. Mm, you just had a psychedelic a couple of weeks ago. You're thinking about this decision. Let's hold off on this decision mm -hmm. for a couple more weeks. And if you're still important to you, we're not going to forget about it. We wrote it down. We'll come back to it. Um, but it's a little bit of both. So it's, it's helping prompts. Um, it's providing prompts and questions so that the person themselves can provide the answer. I, I think what's different about psychedelics versus any of the traditional therapies today is it's not... Um, yeah, there's no, the, the idea is it's, it's an inner wisdom. You have the wisdom inside of you. Nobody knows what's best for you better than you do. Okay, so, so what about if yeah. you have a client that is you're trying to help integrate their their gains, and they had this experience, they had a, a vision, let's say, and they have no idea where to go with it. I think then that's that's great. Okay, so let's unpack that, Doctor John. You said you want to take the evolved caveman to be a million viewers, and you can see it that you're going to be this, that, and the other thing. What else do you see? 
And where did that come from? Because maybe what you think you saw or what you, what you started off is this is what's important to me isn't really what's important to you. So why do you want to be at the million people? How are you going to get there? What are you talking about? What are the steps you're going to take? Um, but, the, but continuing to ask the questions to help the person develop their own answers and their own plans. And then to make them look a little bit deeper as they're answering those questions. Okay, so that I understand what you're saying there. How does that relate to you and what you want? I understand how you can do what you just said and that you're probably very good at doing what you just said. But is that what you want? Is that what you really want and need? Um, yeah, I guess I'm talking about to them. You know, some of these visions, like um, you know, someone sees a fiery lion, you know, kind of an animated fiery lion, but they have no idea where to go with it. And so, when I say it's sort of like dream interpretation to me, it, when I'm doing dream interpretation, it's something like, well, if it were my dream, Matt, it it might mean this to me. And so you can kind of throw out hypotheses that they can either feel are accurate for them or say, eh, I'm not really feeling that. I don't have any aha there. So that may not be it. So that, I, I mean, that it's kind it of comes- just throwing out hypotheses or possibilities. Yeah. Yes. And I think especially with men, where we're, we're less likely to go to our emotional place to ask that question. Okay. Fiery line. How did that make you feel? Mm-hmm. Just tell me more about that. Let's forget about the lion as as a symbol of anything. Just how did it make you feel? Why did it make you feel? Where where were lions in your life? What do you think of? What does a lion even mean to you? Mm-hmm. Is a lion your father? Is a lion you? Is a lion the unsung voice inside your head? Is a, a lion can? It's so different by person to person, which is also where I think it's it's tricky to give somebody an interpretation. Versus just to keep asking good questions. Mm. Why was it fiery? What do you think that fire means? Is it a warm fire? Is it a blue fire? Is it a red fire? Did you have fire in your life? Does fire have any role in your... Just asking the questions and let them talk. Mm -hmm. And talk it out until they find... They'll find an answer. And, and, and I think that's the other piece about all of this for both of us, right? Because we're talking... We, we both deal with a lot of people who are, do, mm-hmm. who are doing all sorts of different things. I love this notion of, I don't know what's best for you. I don't yeah. barely, I don't know what's best. I, I know it's best for me and I don't always do it. <laughs> so let's, if you're, our role in this role is for me to help, help you draw this out of you and help you be the best you you can be. Let's, let's just, let me help ask you questions. When, and one of the things that's really kind of gobsmacked me, I guess, or smacked me in the face about psilocybin in particular is this idea that the plant knows what's best for you. The plant knows where you need to go. There's some sort of innate intelligence in the plant, which the more work I do in this area, the more I'm astounded at the truth of that. It's so Dr. John, it's a, it's, I've, I've, I feel like I walk a line where I want to provide information that is, that is helpful and not be quote too woo woo. And I can't help but agree with what you're saying when you talk about the knowledge of these these plants and these compounds that it knows it can help in ways that we can't understand. And that and Matt, I, I to- pardon me for interrupting, but I yeah. totally feel you. Like I don't want to be too woo woo. I've got a PhD from UC Berkeley in psychology. Like it was drilled into me: science, 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 studies, 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 research, research. But there's some stuff that science can't quite explain yet. Science is slow to catch up. And so if you see a truth over and over and over without disputation, without anything refuting Mm. that truth, you have to honor the truth in my mind, especially when something's been around for thousands of years. I am so grateful for you being willing to look at this like this. I mean, I I talk a lot about in the olden days, way back when, there wasn't a separation between physician and priest. Right, It was one role. And so much of our psychiatry and psychology is wants to be quote pure science and wants that similar to they they want more of a medical take on things. And um, I think when it comes to these compounds, it's a complicated position. And I and I get the argument if we were to say to that this should be in the domain of the clergy, it, it is fair to argue they don't have enough knowledge about the brain and the and the body to keep us safe. But conversely, if we put this in the domain of the pure science, they don't have enough knowledge of the spiritual. 
Yep. And I do believe it's time for reconciliation between the two and that there is a way. We So many people are looking for something different. They're looking I, for a way to understand, and it's going to take both working together to meet the demand that is out there. And there's both the, the clergy side can learn best practices on medical intake and informed consent and integration. And the medical side can learn about ceremony and how do they play in the spiritual realm, which is, yeah, there's, there's a faith component to it. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think that the sweet spot here is the bridge or the nexus between science and spirituality. And, and it's one of the things that Jory and I have realized the more we get into this space that neither either having just the spirituality or just the science is not sufficient. Like to me, you need both. And so I've really been personally boning up on the spirituality side of things, which you know kind of necessarily means dipping more into the woo-woo. But I've also found that as I get more into that spiritual side of things, more into the animism side of things, the, you know, the idea that all living things have a spirit and a sentience, that's a world that is vastly more joyous to live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We start talking about the energy of all things, the connectedness of all things that we ourselves are just, we're just nature. We're just, Mm -hmm. we're not separate. There's no other, there's no wall between you and me, John. It's we're all together. We might be different waves, but we're still part of the ocean. Yeah. And that's, and we're going to return to the ocean and we might come back as different waves. And all of that is beautiful. When I really think that separateness, that illusion of separateness that I, John, am separate from you, Matt, and from the 8 billion other people on this planet is one of the, hallmarks of mental illness because i've seen it with depressed and anxious people that they are so attached to their own suffering to their own i-ness their own uniqueness their own ego that they can't get out of that to understand that well that's true at one level but or and the other truth is that we are all deeply interconnected and we all influence one another every day yeah that is that's a beautiful way to look at this it's it's um it's actually why for most people when, when they're talking about doing psychedelics, I encourage them to do it in group setting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you do psychedelics, can psych- so a lot of research is psychedelics, one person, two pe- with, with two facilitators, that's, mm-hmm. that's the MDMA protocol. So that, yeah. I get it, I get it. And when you're in a group setting and someone else is crying and it's not you or you're crying and it's not someone else or someone else is laughing and there's this energy exchange where again, you realize that I have things that I've experienced that have hurt, but that doesn't define me. And it's not that different than the things that you've experienced that have hurt you. And I want to live in a joyous world. And I Mm -hmm. am connected to these people. I am not alone. I don't, I mean, our culture is, again, we, we get in our cars, we go to work, we do our job, we get back in our cars, we go to our house, we shut the door, it's, it's a very lonely, it's an, we have an epidemic of loneliness in this country. Yeah. People have left the churches in, in droves. Um, we don't make time for our friends. We don't at work. It's much more about what are you going to do for me? And then so much of our culture is like, look at, look at what the kids are growing up with today about how important class rank and GPA and how many AP tests did you take? And, and, there's no incentive for me to help you succeed. If you, I've got to be better in my ranking to get into the school I want to get into. Yeah, it's 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 competition everywhere. Is the culture, and it's yeah. just make believe to get in. What's really the difference in most colleges where kid goes? It's all it's so much make believe, mm-hmm. but it feels so real. Well, and to that point, I love the research that shows that there's zero relationship between the college that you go to and how successful you are, how happy you are, or how much money you make. Zero. So to kill yourself to get into Harvard and then to kill yourself and be depressed while you're at Harvard doesn't really help you all that much, if at all. And so why not just go to a four-year and enjoy yourself and enjoy your time in high school and take the pressure off of these kids? I mean, I've told my own daughter, look, what I want for you is to go to the best college, the, the best fitting college for you. I don't care where that is, um, as long as you're happy there. And I also want you to stay intact, keep your curiosity intact, because I think the school system does a great job of killing young people's curiosity. And 
I want you to stay curious throughout your lifespan. Other than that, this, I have no ego attached. Right. This, this learning period does not end at college mm-hmm. or the end of college or the end of grad school. It's life. This is, I mean, this is, again, we're here to play. We're here to have creative fun and to, um, and to think that, okay, I'm going to get, I'm going to do this degree and then get this job and then make the, collect these resources is, is a farce. Um, I know in my experience, like I, again, as an entrepreneur, it's like, okay, I, I'm going to be happy when, and then I can pick the decade and see what the goalpost was. And then I can watch the goalpost move. I will be happy when I have hundred employees. I'll be happy when I have 500 employees. I'll yep. be happy when there's a, my name of the company on a building. Every time you hit a goal, it just moves. I'll be happy when a company buys us. I'll be happy when eh, it's just, it, it's anything external is going to fade. Mm-hmm. Is, is my experience. And then yeah. that's, a, again, re- the reclaim yourself, the psychedelics. It's everything you need inside well, of you. The other part of that is in, is in pursuing the, those goalposts or goals. I've seen with so many men, and I imagine women too, once we achieve a goal, and it could be a big goal, you can enjoy it. Most men can enjoy it for, I don't know, five to 30 seconds. And then they're like, okay, what's next? That is not a good formula for happiness. <laughs> and and then you're back in the striving a. mode. You're back in the scarcity mode. You're back in you know anxiety and you know punishing yourself because you're not getting enough done. And that's what I see over and over. Or and you start. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm sure a number of your high performers have sold their business, and all of a sudden it, the fear goes from, "Is someone going to buy me?" To, "Is this deal going to close?" To Oh my God, what am I going to do with this money? Is someone going to take it? Am I going to lose it? Yeah. Yep. Or and, who am I now that I don't have this business? And then the identity crisis that occurs uh-huh. where I've been, I am Mr. or Miss whatever I was doing. And that's not true. But yeah. we internalize it. We've made it ours. I've, or, yeah. People who've gotten a, um, moved out of their organization. The, they, they've taken their company public, they've moved into a great role, and then all of a sudden there's a board thing and now they're out of the company. It's like, who am I? Yeah. I remember and, uh, talking to questions. a lot of entrepreneurs who would refer to this as getting shot. You know, Someone will come in, they want that guy's position, they'll do some underhanded machinations, and then the guy's out of his own company. And like, yeah, I got shot. I'm like, wow, that's a really violent metaphor. But yeah, yeah I guess that part of you got killed. But anyway, um, so let's talk a little bit about microdosing because I've done microdosing, but I'm not familiar with much research because I don't think there's much research out there about microdosing. So tell me a little bit about how and why people are microdosing. Yep. So so the quick, the two second answer is microdosing is when you're taking a 10th to a 20th of a traditional dose that you would do for spiritual exploration or, or human optimization or uh, one of the isms that we talked about. So non psychoactive. Um, yeah, they used to say non perceptual. Now they say it's non intoxicating, but somewhere in that zone where you can function, you can go to yeah. work, you can have, you can talk to your, you know, meetings, you can do all those kinds of things. But it's a, uh, but it, you've taken something, you've put something in your body, and people do it for um, connectivity, they do it for creativity, they do it for depression, they do it for anxiety. There is some research and the research is split. There's some research that says, yeah, this does work. And there's others that says it's, it's a placebo. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, I think what we're going to see more research coming out. Um, there's a group called the Microdose, Microdosing Collective that is doing a bunch of uh, work on gathering all that research and making it available. Um, it is a, and then when people microdose, they're typically talking about psilocybin or magic mushrooms or LSD. Mm-hmm. No. Yes, you can microdose with other things, but those are the two most common. Um, two main ways people microdose, there's the Dr. Fadiman protocol, which is you take the microdose on day one, still in your body on day two, you let it out on day three, and you repeat on day four. You do that for about four weeks, you take a two-week break, and you repeat. Paul Stamets, the mycologist, says, that's too complicated. Take it four days in a row, let it out for three days, do that for four weeks, and take a two-week break. Um, and then Stamets actually goes one step further. He said, add, add a little lion's mane and add a little niacin. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to add some help with memory and dexterity. So that's, and he's got some research around that. That's pretty interesting to look at. And I think some patents coming out and, um, and then 
going back to how people meet the medicine, there are some people who microdosing is kind of their, their toes in the water. Okay, mm-hmm. I've heard about psychedelics. I'm not really wanting to do a deep dive. So I'm just going to microdose. All right, try it. Great. Good for you. And then there's others who have done some kind of deep, they've, they've, they've had a big journey um, and they want to support that big journey. So then they are maybe doing microdosing as kind of scaffolding after the big journey. Um, so I think people come to microdosing for a lot of different reasons. Um, there's an uh, interesting group, moms, moms who microdose, uh, <laughs> that I think is, is, is interesting. And then, like you said, there's a gazillion people in Silicon Valley who are yeah. macro and microdosing. Yeah, and, and so thanks for that, because I, it fits with what I know of microdosing, that the research is kind of mixed. So whether it's a placebo or whether it's an actual effect, it does seem that there are positive benefits to it. Um, and even if it's a placebo, I'll take that because the mind is very powerful and we know the placebo effect is powerful. We know the nocebo effect is powerful mm-hmm. where if I don't believe something is going to help me, it's not going to help me likely. Um, so let's talk about you know how these psychedelics are being used legally for you know some of the main issues, depression, anxiety, trauma. Um, addiction, PTSD. Can we can we just stick on nocebo for a second? Because I think psychedelics. It's <laughs> yeah, yes. funny. <laughs> so psychedelics is one thing, and Sam Harris talks about this a lot. You could go in with low expectations. I don't know what psychedelics are going to uh-huh. do, but if you're willing to surrender and let the, as you said, the medicine show what's going to show you. It's one of those things. Like you can meditate for twenty years and never really have a breakthrough. But you take five grams of psilocybin mushrooms in a safe setting with a, you're going to see something. Well, I agree. And I think there's a difference between microdosing and yes, dosing. That is true. And, and I remember there was a researcher who's been researching psilocybin since 1967, which is amazing. But he said, psychiatry does not have a tool in its toolbox as powerful as psilocybin. In other words, there's no one pill that you can give someone. They take it once and it'll change the way you fundamentally see the world and stay with you. Uh, there's some research that it stays with you up to 10 years with psilocybin. And those changes are more flexible thinking, more open-mindedness, which is good stuff. We all need more of that. Absolutely. I've certainly talked to people in their 60s and 70s who said, oh, I had one major experience back in college or back when I was younger and I've never needed to do it again and I've never seen the world yeah. the same. It stuck with them for and, 40, 50 years. And yeah, I completely agree with you. You take four or five grams of mushrooms, there's no such thing as a nocebo effect. <laughs> yes, and that's where I was going with that. So that does blow that out <laughs> of the water. I completely agree with you. So, so before I interrupted you, you were asking about what's being done with these different items. So like in, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder or s- substance use, right? That's where, that's where you're yeah. headed with that? Yeah. Um, I love talking about what's happening with post-traumatic stress disorder, specifically treatment-resistant post-traumatic stress yeah. disorder. This is so wild to me. So for, for your is. audience, I mean, picture veterans, first responders, victims of sexual assault, where nothing's worked. They've tried different psychotropic medicines. They've tried different talk therapies and they still have PTSD. And so it's a, for it's an a, average length of time of 14 plus years. Right. Big number. That's insane. And it's a hard group to research. I mean, this is a it's like, this is not the research dream of population. This is a challenging, yeah. challenging treatment resistant group. Um, phase three clinical trials uh, sponsored by the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelics uh, Studies. I would struggle with that acronym. Yeah, it was, I was blanking <laughs> there for a second. Um, they did. They gave these this population some therapy. They gave them three sessions with MDMA, and they gave them some more therapy. Sixty-seven percent no longer qualify as having PTSD, and eighty-eight percent had a clinically significant improvement in symptoms. Yeah. 67% no longer qualify. And then the FDA but, fast-tracked MDMA. Correct. And that's where yeah, we should see MDMA legalized again in this country end of this year, beginning of next. Yep. Um, after a 30-year, I mean, it's been, I think since 86, it's been, the battle has been on to re-legalize this, this beautiful, well, beautiful medicine. It's amazing. Rick Doblin of MAPS has been pursuing this for 37 years, privately yeah. funded. Yeah, and, and almost or at $200 million of donations to make this happen from both sides of the aisle, by the way. I mean, we're with, mm. with over 20 veterans a day killing themselves, taking their own lives, 
we need something else. Yeah. And there hasn't really been a shift in, in mental health options since the creation of the antidepressant over 50 years ago. And, and I think that MDMA is amazing for working couples therapy. And then yeah. largely because you get that open-heartedness, that interconnectedness, the flood of positive emotions, but also the downplaying or downregulating of the amygdala and the fear response. So you can calmly talk about deep, troubling issues without getting flooded by negative emotions. It's huge. Yeah, you. Rem- I mean, it removes, first of all, it was used for couples therapy for yeah. many, many years. And then again, that's a Again, one of the so downsides in the in the space for those of us in, in the psychedelic space, we we actually recommend to couples like yeah, you can well before you have marital issues or, or or relationship issues, a couple times a year, take an MDMA break with your spouse or your partner. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing, and you remove shame, blame, and guilt from a yeah. conversation, and you can say to that person you love, "Hey, when you do this, I feel that." And that person, instead of responding out of fear or anger, or defense, just look at you and look at you with the eyes. It's like, okay, I love you. And I remember how, why I love you. And I don't want to hurt you. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that this was doing this. It wasn't my intention. And both parties can hear, hear, heal, and move on. Yeah, hear and be heard. Be heard. Yeah. Because the be heard part, I think, is where we struggle. Yeah. Because you yeah. tell me I hurt you and then I get defensive. Well, it wasn't that bad or, you know, I didn't do that or whatever I say in response. And then you're never heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, uh, it's incredibly powerful medicine. And again, I'm not trying to be um, chauvinistic, but especially for us men who so often live in our heads. We I don't think that's heads. chauvinistic. I think that's realistic given how we're socialized <laughs> in a man box culture. Good. So for us who we have a hard time expressing and showing emotion and feeling, allowing ourselves the gift to feel. So again, you take this medicine and just open the heart up. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And, it's, and, and it can be done in a, with, with, with a sexual context. It can be done without one. And it's mm-hmm. really beautiful when it's, no, we're not going to engage in any sexual contact. We're just going to feel each other it's, it's, it's just, it's such a beautiful medicine in, in so many different ways. Well, let's talk a little bit about the difference between using MDMA to party, like go to a mm-hmm. rave or go to a disco versus using it to heal. Because I've seen, it, it's a fundamentally massive difference. And I've, I know some people, married couple that have done MDMA hundreds of times together. And I asked them recently, well, have you ever done it and just sat together and talked, focusing on healing your relationship? And they both looked at me blankly and were like, no. (laughs) Oh my God, you really should. Yeah, we talk a lot about intention and attention. And um, as we we think about our intention for these medicines, so so there's an Alan Watson analogy where he says, look at at this piano. I think he said a guitar. Even with someone who doesn't know what they're doing, they can pluck that guitar and just the craftsmanship of it, they can make some music. But you put that guitar in the hands of a professional musician, and it's just not making music. It's telling stories. It's evoking emotion. It's doing all sorts of amazing things. The same thing is true about a psychedelic like MDMA. Anybody can take it and have a good experience. If you take it in a party setting and you want to feel the music and feel the love of the room, that's, that's beautiful. Great. Good for you. But taking it with the intention of emotionally connecting with another human being or other human beings, plural, and um, and wanting to share and to be heard, like we talked about, and to hear um, and to commit, it's a different intention. And that intention, therefore, had, yields different um, results. And, this, and then that same premise can be true about, you can go to a dead show, or I guess not anymore, a fish show, and take, a, take psychedelics and, um, and have a good concert. And you can sit in a ceremony and and give thanks to the mushrooms and give thanks to the ancestors and and say i'm doing this i want to connect with my higher power and i want to understand what's inside of me and i want the medicine to show me what it needs me to see and then consume the medicine and it's a completely different experience Mm -hmm. 
And then the third, just again, there's I'm sure there's people listening who've had awful experiences because they took something at a party where they weren't in a controlled setting and they didn't know the people and they didn't know the music and they didn't know there there's just too many variables and they were scared. Yeah. And that can happen with these medicines. Everything can get heightened. Um yeah. and, and colors can get distorted for sounds and sounds with colors. And it's it's it can be scary if in I like uh, Stanislav Grof's definition of psychedelics as non-specific amplifiers. Mm-hmm. So they amplify things, and you're not quite sure what they're going to amplify. Mm-hmm. And so you want to make sure you're in a safe safe setting. I think you want to have a good mindset going in. I think another big one. I don't know that with psilocybin this is so important, but you know, test, test, test in terms of harm reduction. Like for MDMA, you want to make sure that you're taking MDMA. Yeah, there's a there's a study. I think they looked at they looked at what was sold as MDMA from 1996 to I think 2017, and almost half of what was sold as MDMA had no MDMA in it. Yeah, it's a big number. So so a lot of us um, or a lot of people took ecstasy in high school or in college or thought they took that and they didn't. But that's mm-hmm. their experience and what they think MDMA is. Um, yeah. So uh, Dance Safe is an organization that yeah. sells test strips. Uh, drug checker you can send in um, drugs and they'll they'll check it and then you can also look at how other drugs you can see in your area like oh this was um, uh, I actually just gave a speech at a, or a talk at, at MIT and I was looking at um, I pulled up drug checker cocaine Boston area and I was like <laughs> look what's in look what was just sold last month I don't even want to it was Ugh. terrifying as what was sold as cocaine and you can look at uh, pick your pick your medicine Pick your drug, and you can see what what other ingredients are are laced in these medicines. It's a it's a, it's it's one of the awful things about having an underground drug market mm-hmm. in this country. It's it's so dangerous. We talk about hundreds of thousands, one hundred forty thousand drug deaths a year. How many of those are preventable? But we don't have a we don't have a centralized place that we can trust as our source. Yeah, yeah. It's not like going to the to Walmart and picking up a six pack of beer and knowing that you're going to get beer that's. Four point three percent alcohol content, right? Yes, or seven point nine percent, and at least you're aware. You you, you yeah. can choose your. I want to drink heavy alcohol. I want to drink light alcohol. You you at least know what you're getting. Yeah, um, yeah. And dancesafe.org. Both those are great resources that you mentioned. Uh, Dancesafe has like fentanyl test strips, as well as drug test kits for multiple reagents for multiple substances. And they're just such an incredible organization that they, um, yeah. again, for your listeners who aren't familiar, in a lot of the festival circuits, they'll be there and for free, people will drop off one or two pills of whatever it is that they, they're thinking about taking. Dance Safe will test it right then and there. And then they'll Instagram out, hey, blue Smurfs are not MDMA. Don't take the blue Smurfs. Yeah. What a, what a service. Yeah, it's huge. Huge. So let's talk a little bit we've got about 10 minutes left um, about psychedelic use for depression. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that's mostly psilocybin. At least that's most of the studies that I've seen. Um, There's a bunch. So ketamine is our only legal psychedelic disassociative anesthetic. Would you say ketamine is a psychedelic? I think because of, I think it's being classified as ketamine, ketamine is psychedelic is that it could be partially marketing, but it is. I mean, if um, it's a dissociative, it's a dissociative anesthetic. Yep. Um, but you do drop into a you do drop into what they call the K-hole. You have visuals, you have this, um, you have many of the same properties as a psychedelic. Mm. It's just not a classic psychedelic. Okay. Um, and the research for depression and anxiety are pretty, pretty powerful. I mean, when you compare that to if we say 40% for the for the general population, roughly 40% with work with an antidepressant, mm-hmm. I think ketamine's closer to 70. So that's mm-hmm. that's a pretty big, big number. Again. All these studies are, are can be skewed. Yeah. Um, what I like about uh, ketamine is is it doesn't have the side effect profile that antidepressants have. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's nice. I like that you don't take it every day. Yeah. Um, it's it for many people you take six doses over six weeks. So once a week for six weeks, and then maybe you go on to a quarterly or a bi-monthly or an episodic regimen. It's only about an hour journey. So figure mm-hmm. you, you allocate two, three hours of your day for this. And then you're, the, the biggest side effect that they talk about is uh, potentially liver issues over time, but that's not really in the medical, it's in the recreational versus what 73% of those who are taking an SSRI have sexual dysfunction. Yeah, or so weight gain. 
or weight gain or lethargy or suicidal ideation. Yeah. I mean, those big side effects, it's a big yeah. price tag. And you don't get addicted to ketamine. Again, you can with recreational with high dose and high frequency, but you definitely get addicted to antidepressants. Coming off of those are a bear. Yeah. Um, and and they're not, they were never meant to be decade-long solutions. They were meant to be to help people through episodes. Yeah. And um, in our country, we've gone to, oh, you've been prescribed it. And it's kind of a life sentence. Um, and none of the doctors have the time to really work with their patients to get them off. So it's, um, I love, I, I always point people to the spirit pharmacist, Dr. Ben Malcolm. Mm-hmm. He has a free guide to tapering antidepressants um, that he, again, he won't do your, be your local physician or psychiatrist, but you can take that and say, okay, doctor, this is what I want to do. And this is the path I'm going to be on and have them oversee your process. Um, because if people don't stand up for themselves and say, I want to get off of this, very often the doctors aren't going to do it. It's just too much work and there's no money in it. Um, so sorry, you were saying with depression. I love the work Johns Hopkins is doing with um, end of life depression and anxiety and saying, okay, we don't, the other challenge with antidepressants is it can take up to 14 weeks to figure if it works. Mm-hmm. People with an end of life diagnosis, they don't have 14 weeks. Right. And they certainly don't want to be messing around with, uh, with that. So the idea that, okay, we're going to give them a single dose of high dose of psilocybin and it's going to lift the depression, lift anxiety show them the connectedness potentially that there is a, a longer life longer thread to this existence other than the human form that they have taken and it it doesn't change the terminal diagnosis but it does change the way they experience the last chapter the way their family experiences them the way they experience their family oh my god that is so beautiful mm-hmm. like how is that just not allowed period yeah um and then certainly um, there's a lot of other work with depression on, on uh, whether it's identity, whether it's a lot of times it's, it's, it's man, they look at the manifestation. Um, we're going to look at psychedelics for eating disorders, psychedelics for overeaters, psychedelics for substance use challenges um, and psychedelics for depression and anxiety. And it just seems um, LSD, ketamine, psilocybin, MDMA, they're all effective in this area. When- Let's talk about the research on psilocybin and treatment-resistant depression because, you know, you talk about another hard-to-treat population, and that's right up there. Yeah, and, and ketamine has similar results um, with, with psilocybin. It, I, again, uh, Dr. John, there are people who are willing to, to dive into psilocybin and do something in this country that's illegal, and there's others that want to be met at this medical model. And, um, and both are beautiful and both are powerful and they're very different. So, um, they both can work depending on what you're trying to achieve as, as a, as a person looking for your, looking for these answers inside that are inside of yourself. So it's, how am I going to use any of this technology to look inside myself? And if ketamine gets you there, great. And if ketamine just opens up the idea of, oh, I can do this and I want to do something that's longer, maybe then maybe you do that. Yeah. Do you have any concerns about the medical model of psilocybin, which seems devoid of the spiritual element? I I have concerns, and I also want to. I think it's all an and. I think there are people who I'll use ketamine as an example because it's it's a little bit easier. There are people in the medical field who are anesthesiologists who say this is our domain. We are the ketamine experts in medicine. And we know it's best and it's a biochemical reaction. And you're going to come into our clinic and we're going to take your vitals. We're going to put an IV in your arm and you're going to have a biochemical release of relief of depression, anxiety. We're going to send you on your ways and we know it's best. That feels cold, but it's, I'm not a doctor. That's it's legal. There are others who are, who are other worlds in the medicine or some anesthesiologists who say, no, let's combine a little bit of ceremony here. Let's do some preparation. Let's, let's treat this like a ceremony. Let's do some integration. Um, I like that model. I personally like that model better. Mm. The, and I do, as we talked about earlier, I think there needs to be a reconciliation between this medical and mm. the spiritual. Um, I think the pure science model can feel too, can feel too clinical. And I, and I think maybe, maybe the most important thing 
is I'm not sure they actually know what they're going for. Is it just a biochemical reaction and we're just trying to cure people or numb their symptoms? Or is it a biochemical, psychosocial, spiritual solution? And to help somebody with that, I need to address all of that. And I don't know if our medical system is really equipped to do that in the way that doctors and other people get paid. So I, I personally think it's, if you can find the right spiritual communities on which to do this, you can both connect and do this type of work at the same time. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I think that most medical professionals have maybe never had or have lost the holistic approach of looking at the whole person to your point. And I, I agree that there are layers to this and the spiritual layer is an important one to consider. Yeah, I mean, that whole notion of in the old days, it was the priest and the uh, physician. Or shaman or, yeah. yeah. It was one role. Medicine man. Yeah. And now with the yeah. separation, it's it's just more complicated. Yeah. Well, Matt, this has been a fascinating and amazing conversation. Thank you so much. Where can people get a hold of you if they want to find your book, if they want to find out more? So my book, or both my book and the journal is uh, everywhere, everywhere books are sold. Um, there's an audible version of the book that where I read all the parts I wrote and women read all the parts that they wrote. And it's, it's beautiful. It's a, it's a lot of fun to listen to it. Um, MattZeman.com. I've got a bunch of free videos. I've got a free guide to microdosing and people are welcome to send me messages there. And then I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and on Instagram. And I really do want to just provide whatever information that I can. So if you're anyone in your audience has a question, please feel free to, uh, to send me a, a message and it might take me a minute, but I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you with a response. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I truly appreciate it. I appreciate you taking this much time to talk, talk about this topic <laughs> for your audience. So thank you, Dr. John. You bet. And that's it for this episode of the Evolved Caveman podcast. If you liked or loved this episode, please be sure to like, rate, review, and share. And if you didn't like it, you don't have to do a damn thing. <laughs> Thanks so much. Until next time, this is Dr. John. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com.